Welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Patty. And I'm Trisha. In this week's episode, we join the Doctor, Leela, and K9 as they travel beyond the edge of the known universe and get caught up in a battle in the underworld. As usual, we'll be discussing the Doctor, the companions, and the villains, and give your thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story, so in order to join in the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravelingteam at teamproductions.com. But as always, I shall start us off with the story recap. Took me, <laughs> Very good. Took me a second here to realise, to remember what I was trying to start us off with. <laughs> this does not bode well. <laughs> Part one. In the TARDIS, Leela notices that the console column has stopped working and alerts the Doctor, who is currently occupying himself with some painting. He takes a look at the external view screen, and he says that they have reached the edge of the cosmos. Leela doesn't seem overly impressed with the vast emptiness ahead of her, but the Doctor expresses awe at the concept of potentially being the first beings to witness the birth of a new life. K-9 interrupts his musings by saying that he has sensed the presence of another spaceship in the area, and gives the Doctor the coordinates. However, Leela brings his attention to the view screen, and the Doctor sees the sudden appearance of a spiral nebula, which he says they need to get away from, or else it will suck the TARDIS into it. The Doctor asks K-9 for escape coordinates, and he gives them the ones for where the starship is. At that moment, the crew of the starship are listening to the playback of the TARDIS materialising, which they picked up as they were scanning the nebula. Jackson, the captain, orders one of the technicians, Orf, to do an analysis on it to identify it. Meanwhile, the TARDIS lands in one of the ship's holds, and the Doctor and Leela emerge to take a look around. The Doctor recognises some of the technology and says it belongs to the Minions, but seems confused by it. He gets K-9 to analyse it, and he dates it back to being 100,000 years old, which the Doctor says is around the time that the Minions' civilization was destroyed on the other side of the universe. He says that the Minions were one of the first races that the Time Lords met during the early days of their explorations into time and space. He says that they were treated like gods, but after the Time Lords had shared improvements in technology and medical aid, the Minions banished them from the planet. He then says that the Minions destroyed themselves with the advancements. Leela says that the ship must have left before that happened, but wonders how anyone could still be alive after 100,000 years. Meanwhile, on the bridge, Orf analyses the sound and says it has the same readout as one of the time ships of the gods. He says that they could help them in their quest, but another crew member, Herrick, blames them for the destruction of the civilization. He vows to kill them, but Jackson orders him to sit down. He then orders the ship to get closer to the nebula, but at that moment, Tala, the helmsman, collapses against her control panel. In the hold, the Doctor and the others are thrown to the ground by the ship lurching, and the Doctor orders K-9 to blast open the door. K-9 reports a blaster malfunction, but then a strange, shield-like device that Leela picked up completely demolishes the door after she presses a button on it. The Doctor tells her that it is a Lieberman laser, and tells her to be careful with it, chiding her for playing with strange weapons. They then make their way through the ship and arrive at the bridge to find Jackson and Herrick examining Tala on the table. He introduces himself, but Herrick attacks him due to his belief that he is one of the gods. Leela appears and aims the shield gun at him, but Orf shoots her with something that seemingly places her into a smiling pacifist state, allowing Herrick to disarm her. Jackson tells him to wait for his command to shoot, and then asks the Doctor if he is a Time Lord, to which the Doctor says he is. Herrick goes on another tirade, but Jackson orders Orf to use his device on him, which causes Herrick to apologise and give the shield gun to the Doctor. Jackson then has Herrick take Tala to the regen chamber, whilst ordering Orf to see after Leela. He and the Doctor then discuss their impending doom because of the nebula. Jackson says the drive system has broken down and the Doctor starts to take a look at it. He then tells him that they have been on their mission for 100,000 years and that each member of the crew has regenerated nearly a thousand times, but the effects last less and less each time they go through the process. 
The doctor says that the drive system can't be repaired as the control crystal has shattered, but then asks what their mission is. Jackson says that they have been tracking another ship, but says that they always seem to lose the signal just as they are about to find it. He says the ship, which was designated P-7E, was a heritage ship, carrying colonists and race banks to start Dominion civilization on a new planet. The doctor then summons K-9 and hooks him up to the ship's drive system and has him pilot the ship away from the nebula. Herrick then returns with Tala, who has been rejuvenated to a much younger age. Herrick again starts to express his concerns, but Jackson orders him and the others to get back to their stations so they can continue their mission. The doctor takes the still pacified Leela and tries to snap her out of her peaceful state by reminding her she is a warrior. He succeeds, and Leela angrily demands to know who pacified her, saying she will kill them. A smiling orf says that he did it, and the doctor tries to get her to calm down, but she storms away, saying that they are all laughing at her. The tracking systems then pick up the P-7E, and they set off in pursuit. The doctor says the course would take them right back into the nebula. He says that the P-7E probably entered the nebula as it formed, and is safe in the core, but they could be destroyed if they tried to enter it from the outside. Jackson says that they must follow through on their mission, leading the doctor to tell K-9 to stop the ship. Herrick grabs him, and Jackson aims the shield gun at Leela as she draws her knife before ordering the doctor to keep K-9 ongoing. The doctor reluctantly gives the order, and Jackson orders Herrick to strap them into the bridge chairs. The ship heads towards the nebula, where it is battered by an asteroid field. The crew reports widespread but non-critical damage to the ship, and Jackson orders them to press on. However, the ship comes to a complete stop, and Jackson asks what's going on. The doctor says that the heavier gravity of the ship is drawing debris and other smaller asteroids to it as it becomes the core of a new planet. He says that the only way out is to fire the ship's laser cannon to try and cut through the debris. However, the ship's density continues to grow as the laser cannon starts to disintegrate under the increasing temperature. Part 2 K-9 announces that they have managed to cut a hole through the debris and Jackson orders Tala to use full power to get out. Once they get out, they see another planet in front of them, but the doctor tells them that the P-70E is in the centre of it. Leela exclaims that they are going to crash due to their speed and they all brace themselves for impact. However, the surface of the new planet is still soft due to its ongoing formation and they submerge into it. The doctor says that it should slow them down and minimise the damage when they collide with the core. Meanwhile, in the caverns within the planet core, People run around screaming in terror as debris falls from the ceiling, crushing several of them. One of them, Eidman, begs others to help him and try and rescue his children from beneath the rubble, but they refuse. He curses them, but his remaining son, Idas, tells him that he will bring the guards down on them. Elsewhere, in a control room, a couple of black hood and cloak-wearing figures watch the chaos, disparagingly label the people as trogs. One of them says he will take a squad of guards and apprehend Eidman so that they can sacrifice him to calm the others down. They find Idman orating to the others uh, that they can no longer be slaves to the guards and the oracle and they should instead escape. The black garbed figure, whose name is Rask, orders the guards to apprehend him and Idman tells Idas to run, but Rask sends guards after him. Rask then says that Idman is guilty of inciting civil unrest and he will be punished. Meanwhile, Idas flees down the various tunnels as he is pursued by the guards. Back on the ship, Jackson and Herrick return from examining the outside of the ship and they tell the others that they are sealed in by rock. However, the Doctor explains that the core walls are most likely made of an igneous rock that the shield gun could cut through, and Jackson orders Herrick to get one. Herrick manages to cut his way through into one of the tunnels, and he and Jackson go take a look. However, they quickly go back into cover as the security camera on an overhead rail approaches the gap in the wall that they cut out. They see it move off and go back to get the others. Jackson tells the rest of the crew that they must go on and try and find the race banks and bring them back to the safety of the ship. He tells the Doctor and Leela to stay behind, but after he and the others leave, they exit the ship as well, leaving K-9 behind to recharge his energy supply. They explore the tunnel and the Doctor knows that it appears to have been dug out and begins a conversation with himself as to why. 
As they make their way down the tunnels, the Doctor and Leela discuss how different species evolved by the ambient radiation in their surroundings. Suddenly Leela tells him to take cover and they hide as Edas runs past, pursued by the guards. The Doctor and Leela draw the attention of the guards and flee down the tunnels, whilst Edas eventually comes across the ship. They find a cache of abandoned equipment and hide whilst the guards search for them. The guard captain orders the section to, of the caverns to be sealed off so that they can smoke them out via fumigation. Once they are gone, the Doctor and Leela make their way back to the ship where they find Edas cowering in fear. The Doctor tells Leela to put away her knife and go get some bandages whilst he talks to Edas. Meanwhile, Jackson and the others continue their search through the tunnels. Jackson orders Herrick to scout ahead whilst he and the others remain behind, shielded by a cloaking device. Further down the tunnels, Herrick is ambushed by a guard and he kills him in self-defence. He hears someone calling for the guard on the radio and he answers, saying that the guard is dead. The man on the other end orders the fumigation to begin immediately and Herrick is cut off when the tunnel seals themselves. Back on the ship, the doctor tells Edas that he has come from the stars and Edas asks him if he is one of the gods from his father's prophecies. The doctor asks to be taken to his father, but Edas says that he has been arrested and will be sacrificed to the oracle. Leela returns from unplugging K-9 from the ship and notices smoke starting to come into the ship. Edas, thinking that he has been lured into a trap, attacks the doctor and Leela tries to stop him. He eventually falls unconscious due to the smoke and the doctor tells Leela to take him to the command deck whilst he goes to find where the smoke is coming from. He eventually comes across an exhaust port and uses his sonic screwdriver on the nearby control station to try and reverse the smoke. However, he succumbs to the effects of the smoke and collapses over the control station. Part 3. The smoke reverses into the exhaust port, causing Rask and his superior, Tarn, to hurriedly switch it off, as several of their guards collapse to the ground. Elsewhere, Herrick is joined by the others and he shows them the body of the guard. Jackson looks at his equipment and says that it looks like that it came from the P-7E. Meanwhile, the Doctor, having managed to recover from the smoke, makes his way back to the ship and goes to look at the drive system. As he is doing this, Edas asks Leela if they really come from the stars and asks to go with them when they go back. The Doctor agrees, but says that there is a problem with the ship. Confused Edas asks what a ship is, and when they tell him what it is, he calls it a citadel, explaining that his people also have one. The Doctor asks to be taken there, but Edas is reluctant as he says that that is where the seers of the Oracle hold their sacrifices. The Doctor tells him not to worry, and he agrees. As they leave, Leela comforts him by saying that the Doctor will be able to save his father. At that moment, Idmon is being prepared for sacrifice. As they make their way down the caverns, the Doctor brings them to a sudden halt. He asks Sainine to print out a map of the caverns that he had been able to create after using the ship's scanners. He then orders the K-9 to go and find Jackson and the others and to bring them after them. Looking at the map, the Doctor asks Edith if there is a shortcut to the Citadel, and he says that there is, but it is guarded by invisible dragons. The Doctor tells him not to worry about the dragons, and asks him to show him the way. They reach the entrance to the shortcut, and the Doctor tells Leela to throw something at the entranceway. A series of energy beams hit the object, and Leela destroys them with another shield gun that she had found on the ship. She then destroys the door, and they make their way into the shortcut. They eventually come across a deep shaft that the Doctor says has a zero-gravity field in it, and he leads them down it. The shaft then goes into a glowing green chamber, and they continue on downwards. However, they are detected by a security camera. In the sacrifice chamber... The ghostly female voice of the Oracle orders Ankh, the Chief Seer, to begin the sacrifice, which is being observed by dozens of trogs. They watch as the lamp is raised to a rope that is holding a sword above Idman. At that moment, the Doctor and the others land at the bottom of the shaft, but they are captured by Rask and a squad of guards. They are brought to the sacrifice chamber, which is actually the bridge of the P-7E. Edas dashes forward just as the rope burns through and pushes the gurney holding his father out of the way. Ank orders him to be killed, but the Trogs and Leela fight back against the guards before the Doctor tells them to flee as they are outgunned. Leela covers their retreat with a gun taken from the guards, but they are trapped by the guards at the entrance to the ship. 
Suddenly, Herrick bursts in and kills the guards, allowing the Doctor and the others to flee. He stays behind to cover their escape, telling a reluctant Jackson to leave him. He manages to kill a few guards before he is severely wounded, and Rask orders him to be brought inside for interrogation. Deeper in the tunnels, the refugees stop for a rest, and Leela is told by the Trogs of their lives under the Oracle. They say that they are essentially slaves, forced to mine rock for ore to power the food processors. Idman then says that the ceiling collapses are a way of keeping their numbers down so that they won't have a chance of overthrowing the guards. Leela relays this to the Doctor, and he reveals that everyone on the planet is the descendants of the original crew of the P-7E. He then joins Jackson and Edas and says that they can sneak back onto the P-7E via the cargo hold. He leads them down the tunnels to a quarry area, where several trogs are delivering carts full of ore, and they begin to discuss a plan to get in unnoticed. In the P-7E, Herrick is being tortured for information by Ank and the others, but they don't believe him when he says that he is from Minyos. He tells them of his mission to retrieve the race banks, but Ank says that he is lying and that only the guards and the trogs are Minyans. Herrick asks the seers what they are, and they say they are the seers of Hedas, unmasking themselves to reveal metal heads with three red eyes, but no ears, mouths, or noses. Back at the quarry, Idman and Hedas are pushing covered carts containing the Doctor, Leela, and Jackson. Idman slips, and his cart, carrying the Doctor and Leela, tips over and falls into the ore crusher. Part 4. The Doctor and Leela hold onto the edge of the crusher shaft as Jackson and the others ambush the guards. The alarm is sounded as Edas helps the Doctor and Leela out of the shaft and they retreat back to the cavern where K-9 and the other trogs are waiting. The Doctor tells K-9 to get back to the ship to prepare it to leave and then asks Jackson to hold off the guards whilst he, Leela and Edas find another way to get to the Oracle. The Doctor leads them down a tunnel but Leela tells him that something is approaching them and they climb through a nearby grill to hide. They watch as a squad of guards rush by to reinforce their comrades that are currently being driven back by Jackson and the others. This is related to Taran and Ankh, who order them to stand and fight so that the Oracle can be kept safe. Delirious Herrick says that they have lost, and one of the seers, Lack, tortures him again. Ankh tells him to stop and suggests that they give the race bank to Jackson so that they can keep the Oracle safe. Lack says that the race bank doesn't exist, but Ankh says that the Oracle may know something about it. Before they go, they ask Herrick what the race bank looks like, and he says that it looks like a pair of golden cylinders with the mark of Minyos on them. Ankh then tells Taran to have Rask offer a truce to Jackson. He and Lack then go to the Oracle and inform her as to what is going on. The Oracle says that they can use the cylinders to destroy them. Unbeknownst to them, they are being absorbed by the Doctor and Leela within an air duct that they access from the grill. Meanwhile, out in the caverns, Rask presents Herrick and the cylinders to Jackson and tells him that they will be allowed to leave peacefully if they go immediately. Satisfied that their mission is now complete, Jackson orders his crew back to the ship. Back in the sacrificial chamber on the P-7E, the Doctor and the others get out of the duct and confront the Oracle. The Doctor reveals his Time Lord origin, but the Oracle denies his status as a god to the Minions, saying that it is the only god they worship. The Doctor says the Oracle is nothing more than a megalomaniacal piece of junk, but the Oracle declares that it is the keeper of the race bank. The Doctor realises that the Oracle still has the cylinders, but that he knows how to get them. He takes the sacrificial sword from Edas, which had he had taken as a weapon during the earlier escape and inserts it into a slot in the tabernacle holding the cylinders. The oracle sounds an alarm and Leela says that they need to go but the doctor asks Edas to help him turn the sword. The tabernacle opens and the doctor takes the cylinders before retreating into the ducts with the others. Edas leads them through the tunnels but they suddenly are cut off by a rockfall. The doctor examines the cylinders and wonders what was in the duplicates that they were given to Jackson. At that moment on the ship, Jackson orders everything to be prepared for takeoff, but K9 says the Doctor and Leela aren't on board. Jackson then sends him to bring them back. He locates the sealed tunnel and blasts an opening. He tells the Doctor and the others that they need to hurry back to the ship, and when they get back, the Doctor tells Jackson to abort the takeoff. He tells them about the fake cylinders and has K9 analyze them. 
Canine reveals that the fake cylinders are actually fission grenades with a 2,000 megaton yield and cannot be disarmed. The Doctor rushes outside to dispose of them, and the Anidas follow after him, but they lose him in the tunnels. The Doctor comes across Rask leading a group of trogs as they are digging at the other end of the sealed tunnel. Rask takes the cylinder from him, ignoring his warnings that they are not the real ones, and orders the guards to dispose of him whilst he goes back to the Oracle. The Doctor tries to convince them that they are in danger, but they don't listen. Just as they are about to shoot him, Leela and Edas appear and drive off the guards. Edas tells the Trogs that the prophecy of their deliverance has finally come true and tells them all to flee with him. They make their way back to the ship, rounding up other groups of Trogs as they make their way back through the tunnels, and the Doctor leads them all onto the ship. Jackson objects, saying that the ship can't hold them all as the extra weight will affect their takeoff, but the Doctor says that they are the descendants of Minyos, telling him that they are part of his responsibility to save his race. The ship takes off and manages to get out of the planet core, but the ship struggles against the gravity due to the increased weight. Back on the P7E, the Oracle realises that the cylinders are the fake ones and orders them to be gotten rid of, but Ang says that he doesn't know what to do. The grenades explode and the resulting planetary explosion propels the ship out of the nebula back into space. The Doctor and Lilith and K9 say their goodbyes, with the Doctor referring to Jackson as Jason. He explains to Lilith that Jackson and his mission reminded him of the legendary leader of the Argonauts and their quest for the Golden Fleece. The Doctor ponders whether the myths of ancient Earth are possible prophecies of the future, but K9 denies the statement. Doctor Moodley says that at least he can paint before going back to his earlier project, and Leela gives the robot dog a comforting kiss. End of the story. So now uh, that we have retrieved, we have completed the quest. The quest is the quest, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, we're going to go to the trivia spot. So what have you got for us this week, Trish? Cool, thank you very much. Uh, I think they said the word quest more in this one story than like Rick Riordan has in his entire like Percy Jackson. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, no like, uh, the only other thing that I can think of that's comparable to the whole the word quest is in Iron Fist, Danny continually saying Con Lun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but let's talk about Underworld yes. so the air date for the story is the 7th to the 28th of January 1978 our writers are Bob Baker and Dave Martin we've discussed them before this is story 7 of 9 for Bob and 7 of 8 for Dave the previous stories that they worked on together were The Claws of Axos, The Mutants, The Three Doctors This Entire Experiment, The Hand of Fear and The Invisible Enemy this is their first one not to start with the word the. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have two more stories left uh, from Bob which is the Armageddon Factor and Nightmare of Eden Dave is only going to be contributing to the Armageddon Factor the director of this story is Norman Stewart this is the first of two directing credits for Norman we will see his work again in The Power of Crow the story had the working title of Underground I kind of prefer Underworld I think it sort of gives more of a feel of what the story is about Underground makes it sound like another tube station yeah story um this was also the first story to be overseen by the new script editor anthony reed this is the first one where he had complete creative control so basically as you probably guessed he asked bob and dave to make a script that's an allegory of jason and the argonauts in the quest for the golden place mm-hmm. that was the point mm-hmm. so as well as just the doctor literally calling out what the story was about yeah it's so fucking hilarious um you will see that there's a number of 
names that are very similar. So Jackson and Jason, Herrick and Heracles, Tala and Atalanta. I couldn't. Orf and Orpheus. I, she was the, Min- sorry, she, she was the one name I couldn't think of for a crew member or from like someone from Greek myth. Because like the other three are yeah. fairly obvious if you're into Greek myth. But I was like, who yeah. the fuck is Tala meant to represent? Yeah. So Tala is Atalanta, Orf is Orpheus, the Minyans are the Minoans, P7E is Persephone, um, which I, I I love that one actually. Yeah. That's P7E is Persephone, it's Underworld. And then R1C is like the Argos, or the Argosi. Um, Underworld as a story <laughs> um, uses by far the most CSO or color, color separation overlay that we have ever seen on the program. Um, basically, they were running out of money. Um, and so they were considering cancelling the story altogether and just giving all of the budget to next week's story, The Invasion of Time. Mm. Um, but Graham Williams, who was the producer, he rejected that idea. And so instead, they decided to use CSO to create virtually every shot of the underworld mm. so the only things that were on set were uh the p7e the r1c and the tardis um so it is the most cso we have ever seen <laughs> um also we've talked about this a little bit in the past but particularly this story is really where it kicks in star wars <laughs> mm. uh would be released in the uk 10 days before underworld was due to air so very much aspects of the production, Star Wars was there in the back of their minds. Yeah, you know? and like in that book, I uh, you uh, got me um, Space Summit for a Co. Um, they really did say like that. They felt like that they were in competition for the attention of kids against Star Wars. Yeah, um, couple of things. Uh, There's actually not too much to in the story. There's so a couple of things um, in the original script. Leela was meant to scream when she became overwhelmed by the gas in the second episode. And Louise Jameson was just like, no. Leela wouldn't do that. Why would she scream? That makes no fucking sense. I have actually a point about something like that in my notes later on. Hmm. Um, Also, the scene of the Doctor shepherding the slaves, or the trogs as they're called, uh, through the caves and onto um, P7E. No, the, and, the R1. The, yeah, the R1 this is the R1C. The R1C. Um, that was Tom. Tom Tom decided that was that. Which, like, we never really see the Doctor interact with children. No. I, and I love that he just picks up this random little girl, runs her to the front and hands her off to somebody else. I actually, I I love that scene. I think it's... I thought it was very good. I, I think it's the most, like, a modern Doctor that we've seen of the Doctor. Because, like, you'd often see the, um, you know, like... Tennant or Eccleston, uh, Matt Smith, eh, Capaldi kind of, maybe not as much. Um, I think Jodie would as well, um, you know, interact more with the general people around. Whereas up until now, usually our Doctor really only interacts with our named characters. But like, e- even then, I still think that this is a very standout moment for any version of the Doctor. Because mm. this is very like someone leading refugees over a border you know yeah like just take the kids or something like that it's the most Mm. human moment i think i i could think of 
from a doctor. Yeah, I would agree. We can talk about that more yeah. later on. Um, but it's nice that that was Tom. Mm. Yeah, oh yeah. Put that himself. Yeah. Um, on to our cast. I think the main three people we're going to be discussing are going to be Idis, Jackson, and Herrick. Mm-hmm. So Idis is played by Norman Tipton. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Norman. His non-Who credits include Blake Seven, Do It, Your Mother Wouldn't Like It, and Two Up, Two Down. I love do it, your mother would yeah, like it. Yeah, sort of runs I know. That, that's what, I'm not, two, different, two different things. I'm laughing at it at the moment. So that's why I was like, like do it. Yeah. Your mother would like it. Uh, Jackson is played by James Maxwell. Uh, again, only Doctor Who appearance for James. His non-Who credits include Danger Man, The Avengers, No Hiding Place, Out of the Unknown, Do Much, and Bergerac. And then as Herrick, we have Alan Lake. Again, only Doctor Who acting credit for Alan. His non-Who credits include Dixon of Doc Green, Zedkars, The Saint, The Newcomers, The Avengers, Sweeney, Blake Seven, and Bergerac. So a lot of overlapping there between our actors. And Alan passed away in 1984. We haven't heard. There is a note about Alan in the TARDIS wiki that I was hesitant to include. Okay. But now I've started, so... I probably should. Um, Alan has a note in his TARDIS wiki file, basically, um, that very few Doctor Who actors have, which is that when Alan passed away in 1984, it was by his own hand. Oh. Yeah. Um, Which is sad. Yeah. It is very sad. You were going to add something. No, I um, I was just going to say that Dixon and Doc Green was something that we hadn't heard in a while, uh, mm. which is <laughs> not really important now after that sequence. But yeah. um, I suppose it's just one of those things of like where at the t- like even if you think about like at the time, maybe he didn't have anyone to talk to, you know. Well, we 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 don't we don't know these type of things. Yeah, what, but we don't know. We don't stuff. know what his situation yeah. was. Yeah. Um. The reason why I mentioned it is because mainly because I'm curious that the TARDIS wiki had a subsection of his bio mm. about it, which is unusual, and that that was the main reason why I mentioned it. Um. It seems like a weird thing to call out specifically mm. Mm. in his bio. But, you know, it is there, it is written, it is available information, which is why I included it. Well, it might be a thing, of it. I would say, maybe it would depend on when that article was added into it. Because, mm. you know, in the last couple of years, there has been more of a push for awareness of that. Mm, true. Yeah, so maybe yeah. it's just going back and diving in to say like that, you know, there's always people and options for people to talk to. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that kind of took it down to a bit of a downer. Mm. Um, I will bring it up again. I was in... Where was I? Was I in Golden Discs? Or was it somewhere else? I was somewhere... I think it was Golden Discs. Mm -hmm. And you can actually, like, buy um, Z-Cars, like, on DVD. Really? Yeah. It was either Golden Discs or it was CEX. It was one of them. I, uh, maybe. It's, and there was like a box out of Zed cars. <laughs> and I was like, that's so random. <laughs> maybe it had it has the episode with Liz Sladen on it. Episodes she did. Oh, yeah. Three, I think. Um, but yeah, so just 
Save the trigger spot there at the yeah. end. <laughs> Completely not at all, Bethesda. Uh. So we have done the trivia and we did the story summary. Thank you very much. So now we have our discussion. Mm-hmm. So each week we look at the characters that appear in the story. Particularly we focus on the doctor, obviously. Mm-hmm. The companions. In this case, we have Leela and K9. I don't know if you put any of the other characters in a companion spot. Mm-hmm. I did them all as prominent characters, but that was just Yeah, no, I was the same. I did the rest of them as prominent characters. Yeah. So prominent characters are basically characters who don't really count as like story-based companions. As in, like, they're not interacting with the Doctor and Leela enough, or they don't have a big enough impact. But they're not the villain either. Mm -hmm. But they're important to talk about. (laughs) They're the other people that were in the story. So, in our case, we have three people for the prominent characters piece. We have, as I already mentioned in the trivia, Idis, Jackson, and Herrick. And then we have the villains, which is kind of three, well, two groups and a megalomaniac computer yeah. whatever um so we have the guards of the underworld the seers and then the oracle yes so as is our new tradition <laughs> <laughs> of the last couple of months yes the person who did the socials mm-hmm. is the person who gives their thoughts first so paddington thoughts on the doctor um I don't know whether we got all the good stuff out of the way with when we were talking about uh, that wonderful scene that Tom directed. Because uh, like, that, that is a very good scene. Like there's a, li- mm-hmm. there's a group of trogs, they're all huddled, they're all scared, and he picks up a small child, brings her to the front, hands her off to someone, and says we need to get everyone on board. It's, it's a great moment. It really, really is. And I would say it's probably the highlight of the Doctor in this story. Mm-hmm. because he's very fucking abrasive in this one and at times he reminds me of the third doctor in the day of the daleks you know with uh, himself and joe when they're tied up in the cold cellar and mm-hmm. he's kind of like being a bit of a prick to her um mm. so yeah like he just it it did feel like we had gone back to a version of the third doctor that neither of us like um but like, it, it's not even just like you know, Leela. It's like you know, his interactions with K Nine is here, like because he really puts him through the ringer, but he never shows him the same affection as he did back in their first adventure. I think it's like mm. I remember I brought up the point uh, in Invisible Enemy where it's like you can be great with other people's kids and other people's pets, but you you're not mm. good. You wouldn't be good with your own, you know. Yeah, and here it is very like I, I won't say antagonistic, but it's just abrasive. Like he, he, he. When he wires K nine up to the the ship, he basically gets two fucking jumper cables and attaches them to K 9s ears. And John Leeson, God love him, does like a yelp for each ear. But the, like the doctor doesn't pet him mm. or say sorry or anything. And also, yeah. like he's just like I can imagine like his computing power or his processing power isn't really up to the task for a long haul piloting of a ship. Like, so obviously he's drained mm. as fuck. And again, there's no good job, canine, good, whatever. It's just this moody, what well, at least I can fucking paint at the end of the story, you know? 
No, like it's I suppose like you in one sense like you can say it's like it's typical Doctor Fair here and this you know and um risking himself to go out and, you know, try and stop the, the fumigation smoke coming through. Um trying to give the the villain a chance to repent, you know. Mm. Um and like th- there is that, but out- outside of again, that scene with the refugees I'm not a fan of him in this one. Mm. Yeah. You? I agree. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, no, you can't just tell K9 to shut up. It's just rude. Like, I I think I said it last week, you know, whose dog actually is K9? Mm. Because the doctor keeps treating him like he's Leela's dog. Leela, like, get your dog under control or whatever. But then he uses him for his own means. I was like, either you like the dog or you fucking don't. Like, stop being a prick about it. Mm. Um, but really, like, the one thing that came back to me in this, and I've said it before, I hoped I wouldn't have to say it again. Who are you calling semi-intelligent? Mm. You pompous prick. Like, seriously, the way he continues to refer to Leela as primitive... Or savage, and I've discussed my issue that before. Particularly to other fucking people. Like it's one thing, like you know, we said that in um, horror Frank Mark, they kind of joked about it between yeah. themselves, mm-hmm. which is fine. Yeah, do you know? Mm-hmm. It's a running joke. You and I have run running jokes. That's fine. Um, but the fact that he says it to other people, and like, it's driving me insane. It's it's actually doing me. Like, he would never have treated Sarah like that. No. Ever, even when he's like, "Oh, humans have such small minds," it was broad and general and lighthearted. Um, this is he's attacking Leela specifically every fucking time. Like, how has she not proven herself to you yet? Hmm. Do you know? And like, even like he should have been appalled at the fact that they changed her mental state using the pacify thing. Mm-hmm. To the point where she swanned off with Orf as if he was, you know, the sexiest thing on in the world. Mm-hmm. I was like, he should have been appalled that they would affect her mental state that way. Absolutely appalled. Mm-hmm. Instead, he kind of commends them for it. And I was like, oh yeah, she's really savage though. So it's going to be a while before she's back to normal. Okay, cool. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. What the shit is that? She's your friend, you dickhead. <laughs> like... It's really irritating me. And I'm like, was it just Sarah that he had a good, friendly relationship with? Because, like, you know, with Leela at other points in the story, he clearly trusts her. Do you know what I mean? And there's there's a trust there, whatever. But, like, he also is still criticizing her about, like, using weapons and whatever. And it's like... Um, I believe I have an answer to that when we come around to Leela. Okay. Um, but it it did really get me. This time, the fact that, like, he was such a dick to K9, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that he still treats Leela like she's a pet. Yeah. She, he treats her like a pet. Mm-hmm. He has two dogs, Leela and K9. Yeah. And I was like, fuck off. Mm. 
Um, like you said, like for the rest of the story, like I said, I do think the bit with the trogs at the end, I thought that was fantastic. The way he stands up to Jackson, hmm. I think is brilliant. That was really good. The rest of it is kind of par for the course. Um, no, nothing massively high, nothing incredibly low, but like, seriously, and this sucks to say, but like, I know next week is Leela's last story. Story. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that she's not going to have to put up with him for much longer. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's actually like, you know, we spoke about before, you're like, oh, would I still like the fourth doctor after Sarah Jane's stories? Because like I loved him and Sarah Jane together. And I was like, well, I still I love Leela. Mm-hmm. So my issue with him isn't that like, oh, Leela isn't Sarah Jane. No. <laughs> no, because I think Leela's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just him. And I'm gonna be really curious in a couple of weeks when we have our next companion yeah. come in. Does this continue? Because, you know, Doc Tom, I love it to bits, but I don't like this. It's not fun to watch. No, it, it isn't. It isn't. But um, there, there, there's a, there's a, there's a factor here, and I did spend a bit of today going back over things to mm. see if I was like, am um, I right in my thinking? So if if you're prepared to move on to Leela, yep. I have the, I have this. Yep. Bob and Dave can't write Leela. They can't. Nor can, mm. nor can they write Leela and the Doctor's relationship, because the other story that they did with Leela was the Invisible Enemy, which was mm. the scarf chewing. You you're immune because you're fucking thick. Yeah. Angle. They can't write her. Mm. And I went back over their stories again. And with the exception of the three doctors, Santarin experiment and Hand of Fear, mm. they're actually, I would say they're bad writers. They're not great mm. writers because, and like, like we'll discuss it more in terms of like when we get to the overall and other like uh, characters within this, but the three doctors in itself was a sort of semi-confined thing. Mm. and it also had um, I would say the work done by other people over a longer period of time so like mm. uh, like the second Doctor the first Doctor they were much more fleshed out by like a series of like you know other writing and other stories um, mm. then we had the Santarin experiment which after watching this if it had gone any we talked about had it gone any longer what would have things I'm actually thinking that if it had gone any longer they could have fucked it and mm. the Hand of Fear I like we really enjoyed that, but we did say that there was a couple of things there that did kind of leave a small bit to be desired, and we really put it down to Tom and Liz's um, performances as to why it's mm. such a good story. But here, they these lads they cannot fucking write for Louise Jameson. No, and like I I remember like us laughing at the fact that fucking like we were very surprised that Terence Dix was able to write a fantastic story with Leela mm-hmm. and that and that's actually the um, the horror fan rock and it's the whole you know mm-hmm. it's the in joke about her being yeah. a primitive here it's a, a used for bad humor yeah and like she's just treated like the simpleton be- by the two of them it's it's and it's very fucking jarring because like you had and like, like we kind of said like that even though image of fendal wasn't great Leela was good in it mm-hmm. And that, mm. and like her, be- like three of her stories were all written by the same person, 
And those are stories yeah. that we've all liked her in. So that's a guy mm-hmm. that fucking knew how to write her. Um, and it's just like, he did, he never, even when we were first introduced to her, she's mm-hmm. never like this. Yeah. Uh, even in the Tanza Wang Chiang with all the My Fair Lady, excuse me, all the My Fair Lady stuff going on in that, never treated to this extent. Um, again, the little joke, like, you know, okay, there was a joke about her, you know, be, being found in a fucking tea chest going down the Amazon or whatever like that. Mm. But the rest of it is her interact, her, her interactions with other characters aren't based off that joke. Here, mm. her interactions with everyone else is treated by the doctor's treatment of her. Yeah, and like I think in terms of your conversation, like your comments about Bob and and Dave Martin, you know, one of the things that we loved about Leela from the off, um, and particularly like the one thing I loved about the fans of Wang Shang, mm-hmm. is Leela going off on her own. Yes, and doing her own thing, driving plot and whatever. In the Invisible Enemy and in this one, Leela just does what she's told. Mm-hmm. Now she does it very well. <laughs> Do you know, and we see her like she has a couple of moments of like sensing danger ahead and and stuff like that, but it's not the same, and it's very sort of you could replace her with anybody. Do you know which it, isn't good? It, like it's very Tonto and Lone Ranger ish. Yeah, and to be honest, it's kind of in a way like I mean we had issues with the way John and Casey were written, so the the third Doctor and Joe. The way that Joe was often treated like a child mm-hmm. and whatever. This kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. You know, this constant thing of like, the woman has proved herself, moved the fuck on. Like, we have stories that go into the whole fact that she can sense things and she has, you know, this other ability that you don't have. Stop calling it primitive and semi intelligent. Fuck you. Mm. And like, um, like, and as well, like, the, um, like, her little temper tantrum after and that's what it is it's a temper tantrum after like you know who pacified me you're all laughing at me and just sits there with a fucking sulk i was like where does i will i will say right i think the way they wrote that was bad Hmm. but i think the fact that it was there was good because i think she's fully justified in her reaction of being pissed off and upset oh no no that they did that to her i think the way they wrote it though just comes across as whining. Oh, no, no, uh, no, absolutely. Like her being pissed off, but I, I'm pretty sure, and I would say when I say pretty, I'm 100 percent sure the Leela that we know and I would say love at this point mm-hmm. would have said, "Who did this to me? If you ever fucking do that to me again, I will end you." And and uh, yeah, I mean the fact that she keeps putting on the doctor sharply, like, "I'll kill them, I'll kill them," and then like we find out it's Orph, and she, she's like, "Oh, well, I suppose." And then she, to be honest, I think she's justified in being like, you're all fucking laughing at me. Like, I mean, I think there is a bit of catharsis in there for her because the doctor does laugh at her. You know, he mm. does make these comments about her all the time. I think like, I think what they were going for, I think, was completely justified. Yeah, but they, they... But the way they fucking did it yeah. was just fucked up. Yeah, no, it's just um, like, it, it did come across like a little fucking sulk. And it's like, that's yeah. not, no, that that's not what we've seen. Yeah, and like, I know we see her fighting as the story goes on, but I really wanted a scene of her rubbing it in everyone's nose that her instincts, her primitiveness, is what makes her badass. Mm. And it's often worth way more than their cleverness combined. And again, this is the same this is the same thing we said about 
the Invisible Enemy. We had the exact same problem where they go on about her primitiveness. They mention the fact that she has this like dangerous sense and this intuition, but we never get the follow through. Mm. We're missing the follow through on her showing and people acknowledging, yeah, we we underestimated you. You know, we should have listened to Leela or whatever. I think I also like I think my last thing I don't know if it was just me I just being fucking fed up mm. but was she a bit more screamy this episode or this story no All right. I don't think so I think I think it's that that pacify thing at the start offset a lot of the mood yeah with her for the rest of it and mostly for the rest of it she was just doing what she was told mm. do you know yeah. Um I, I am glad that she did push back on the fact that she was meant to scream about who screams about gas. Yeah. No, I I and that's like what where like, I'm really glad that she just said fucking no to that because again, that would just really hammer home the fact that the lads can't fucking write her. One thing I will say, the first thing I noticed about her in this story that I think is kind of cool mm-hmm. was K9 teaching her how to pilot the TARDIS. Because she was Fiddling away and checking readings, and the doctor wasn't even in the room. But like that, then itself then is a fucking contradiction in the sense of like, if she's so fucking primitive, why is he trusting her to fucking pilot the ship? Yeah, but because when I first saw that, I was like, oh, it's kind of cool. Like Leela knows how to pilot, or she knows how to keep an eye on the readings and check things. And I thought because like, I do things, I do love Leela and K nine together. Mm. <laughs> I think they're a great duo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I love the idea that like K9 was teaching her how to do it. Do you know? Yeah. Which again, I think is lovely because that, that's the nice character. I thought that was the one thing in Invisible Enemy I loved was Leela and K9. I thought they were fantastic together. Yeah. Um. So when it started out like that, I was like, oh, cool. Um. And like, she obviously freaks when like it stops working. She's like, shit, shit, I've done something wrong. I thought that was actually kind of good. But then again, to your point, literally like two minutes later. Oh, well, we're all intelligent or, you know, semi-intelligent here. I was like, fuck off. <laughs> She's amazing and badass. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I also would have, I think, while I gave credit to the Doctor for standing up to Jackson, mm-hmm. I think that would have been better coming from Leela. Because Leela, essentially, the Seva team and the Trogs mm-hmm. are one in the same. Except one is a warrior race and one is a slave race. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen Leela stand because like, she gets along really well with um, Id- Idas. Yeah, Idas or whatever, for instance. I got Idas. Um, Idas. She gets along really well with him, um, and I would have liked to have seen her being the one standing up to Jackson when he's like, "Get out, get out!" And she's like, "Fuck off, no! Hmm. What the fuck are you on about?" Like, I would want to see her take him down a peg, um, because she was them. Yeah. And now she's who she is now. With Zoanna and like. Yeah, like she understands the broadness of the universe. She understands what they're getting into. And she understands that just because they're quote unquote primitive mm. doesn't mean they should be left behind. I, I think that outrage should have come from Leela. Um, I think it makes sense that it came from the Doctor, but I think of the two of them in this story. Leela should have should have been the advocate. Hmm. Absolutely, if there had been a competent writer penning her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if Chris if Chris Boucher had been writing this, then we would have had that. Yeah, yeah. I think we would have. I, I definitely think we would have. Yeah, 
I, I, I know like, they, like we very rarely kind of like fucking pit writers against each other but here I think it's completely justified that the guy who can write her the best and has proven to write her at her best maybe Bob Holmes being a second mm. and Terrence Terrence did a good job oh no Terrence did a fantastic job he really did yeah. um, but like I think yeah no it's just these two clowns don't know what yeah they just her. can't they can't fucking write her yeah and like I'm trying to think like you know you're talking about the other stories that they did I mean Santaran is short mm. um, but if you think about The Hand of Fear which you know I love mm-hmm. as a story. I'm so glad they didn't write the ending. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. The ending was Bob Holmes. Mm. And then it was handed off to Liz and Tom. Yeah. I'm so glad they didn't write the ending. Because I can only imagine what it would have yeah. turned out to be. And I'm glad that like they were given the direction on that story that like they weren't meant to write it as a leaving story. Um. But it does make me wonder, like, how much of what we loved in The Hand of Fear was just Tom and Liz, rather than the Doctor and Sarah as on the script. Yeah. Um, but we can talk about that more, I think, when we get to the overall, because I have some other thoughts yeah, oh, on it as well. I'm, I'm, I'm the um, same. I'm the same. So, yeah, no, absolutely. So, we motor on to the best boy. Yes. What did you think of the best boy this week? Ah, oh, the best boy is always the fucking best boy. Uh, <laughs> but like, one of these days, you're going to give a little, a little nip at the hand. And no one would blame you for it. <laughs> Absolutely fucking not. Because um, yeah. again, he just gets put. He just puts up with so much shit from the doctor. And now I'm starting to think that this is Tom bleeding into fucking the performance. You know, because yeah. um, again, it's like you know, whose dog are you? Well, clearly from what we've seen, any time these two lads have the, the, the script, you're Leela's dog, and. Mm. While it is fun seeing the Doctor with K9, I have grown more accustomed to, like, he's Leela's dog. And they are the duo. Yeah, there's one thing that I noticed, actually, which is, particularly if you think about the K9 that we know in modern yeah. era of the show. Here first, the Doctor is Master. Mm-hmm. Right? As in, Master Pet. Type thing. Yeah. And he refers to Sarah Jane as Mistress. Here, here first, the Doctor as the Doctor. Like when he find like at one point he says like oh the doctor and but he says the doctor and Mistress Leela are still out there. He doesn't say like the doctor master or master doctor mm-hmm. or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's just the doctor is still out there, um, which does tell me that like he's Leela's dog. Yeah. <laughs> which I I don't have any issue with. No. Him being Leela's dog. Um, sorry. You no, were, you were going no, on. but I know like it's it's a very fair point to make. But in terms of K9's performance, um, I know that like you could be kind of saying like how much performance can again a fucking robot dog give? But we ha- again we have to take into account there's two things: it's a controller and also John Leeson, and mm. John Leeson just he brings his A game every time he does this, mm. and like you love like I said last week. You actually, your suspension of disbelief is completely there, like because you can believe that K nine is an actual robot dog, yeah. And he's great, and I loved the little, like as annoying as it was, I did think it was kind of cute, you know, the little yelps as he is put as like, mm. oh, oh, um, but he, like, he's just a really, really good 
companion in this one. Like, or he's just a really good version of K9. He rescues mm-hmm. the Doctor and Leela. Mm-hmm. He has no problem powering the ship. He has no problem like standing his ground. Like uh, essentially, excuse me, when saying to Jackson, "Nope, can't leave. They're not here." And then, yeah. like, you know, he trundles off to get them. Um, or even like when just trying to tell the doctor, like, you know, we're not the first people here. There's another ship in the area. <laughs> Why aren't you listening to me? Type thing. Um, so yeah, K nine is great in this. Yeah. I think John Leeson does a very good job of computerized sass. Yes. Because <laughs> K9 is a sassy Dutch like He really is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um which is weird to say of like a robotic voice coming out of a thing. Um yeah, like my 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 thoughts from most of the story were like poor K9. Mm. Like told to shut up will also be expected to help save the doctor's ass. One of these days, like is he's gonna shoot him in the ass. Um also like Again, like I was saying, like I like the idea that he's Leela's dog. Mm. I actually like. I actually preferred the idea that he's Leela's dog. That the Doctor kept him on board because he saw how well Leela and K Nine got along together. Mm. I love the idea of him being Leela's dog. I love the idea that like the whole like Henry Higgins lies a little thing isn't the Doctor and Leela. It's K Nine <laughs> and Leela. I I love that. Yeah. Um, but why does everyone get to order him around? Jackson was ordering him around as well. I'm like, Jackson, he's not your fucking dog. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to do what you tell him to do. Why are you giving him orders? Why, like, what the hell? Like, I the thing about K9 is that you and I see K9 as a character, mm-hmm. as a companion in his own right. I think a lot of the characters other than Leela see K9 as a tool. Yeah. And I don't like K9 being written as a tool. Do you know, it's one of the things I love. Like, skipping the timeline massively, but one of the things I loved in School Reunion, right? So when we see K nine come back in the modern era, is how the Doctor reacts to him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Who's a good boy?" and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, but also Sarah Jane's reaction, like after the school blows up, mm. where she's upset. Yeah, of course. Do you know this was her best friend for forever, and particularly in the Sarah Jane adventures. We see numerous times where K9 is treated like a person, hmm. um, which I think Leela does with him, but the doctor doesn't, and neither does anyone else. And K9 is not a tool. No. He's a good boy. He, he is. should be treated as such. Yeah. I actually like, um, I really like that sequence in School Reunion, like the ending sequence. I think it's really good. Yeah. Um, but like, I think that goes back to John Leeson. Yeah. Do you know? Because like, even here, we're getting angry on his behalf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. It is fundamentally a tin box that, like, they have to do certain... Like, if you notice when the Doctor and Leela come out of the TARDIS and then they stop and they stand really close together mm-hmm. and then they keep walking, that scene is to allow the operator to lift K-9 out of the TARDIS and put him on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Like, there's certain things that they have to do to account for the prop, mm-hmm. but he's he's his bestest boy. Like he is the bestest boy. He deserves all the biscuits. Mm-hmm. But shall we go on and talk about the other boys? Yeah, the the the, the not so best boys. The last boys. <laughs> the last boys. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That they are fucking lost. Uh, okay, so we have Edas, Jackson, and Herrick. Hmm. Um, as you're going first, I'll leave it to you in which order you would like to discuss those three. Um, 
I suppose seeing as how he does have the most time with them, we might do Edas last. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll do Jackson first. Okay. He, I, I suppose, in keeping with the, um, the allegory and from what I remember, he does seem like a very pragmatic character. And he is very Jason-like in the fact that he will utilize others to help, but won't really lose sleep at the thought of them being left behind. Mm. Because, you know, the quest is the quest. And Jason, from what I remember, it's been a while now since I've did the um, the non... Uh, Rick Riordan version? Yeah, no, not even the non-Rick Riordan version, like, but the, like, I suppose you could say like the non-sanitized version. But Jason was sort of a kind of a fuck you got mine type person mm. and here jackson is kind of like that because mm. it's the whole thing of you know the doctor and leela aren't here yet well you better hurry up and get them back it's like like why aren't you stopping the fucking countdown like you know you have what you need and you're in a defensible position so really you shouldn't be worried about them attacking you so like what is it with the fucking massive rush to get off um, other than the fact of like I just can't be fucking arsed and then uh, the it's your whole mission has been to preserve the was it your civilization and as the doctor mm. points out these are your civilization and it's a sort of like well yeah but they're not our civilization type side of things mm. to it you know it's a, there's actually like that like, that's kind of a, like a darker element to that um so like he's not like we've seen bigger pricks, mm. but like at the same time he's not like smelling like a bed of roses, you know. Yeah, like at the first I at first I actually kind of liked him. Mm. Um, you know, you could relate to him. He's been doing this for a hundred thousand years. Yeah. Um, you know he, you know, he has his dedication, but he's also dedicated to his crew. Do you know? Like he will call them on their BS. Mm-hmm. But, like, when Lana hadn't taken the time to regenerate, and he's like, you know, you need to take the time to do this, whatever. But by the end, all I could think was, what a dick. Mm. In a very Jason, the thankfully not Jason Grace, kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> like, that whole bit where he's like, get off, get out, you're too heavy. Yeah. Like, dude, have you seen the size of your fucking ship? They account for nothing in the overall weight of things. Mm. It's ridiculous the way he was behaving. Mm. And like, even the fact that like, you know, they do sort of like, you know, adjacent and the Argonauts and the Golden Fleece. But like, the thing about like the the Argonauts story and the Golden Fleece story is that like, they did stop off places. Mm. You know, they had other adventures as they were going. This is more like the fucking Grail quest. Yeah. Like this, just obsession with this one thing, and literally, like I said, like as soon as they got what they thought was the genetic memory or whatever it was, the two cylinders, or the race bank, that was it. As soon as they got the race bank, it was straight back to the ship. Didn't even try to find anyone else, powering everything up, and they were about to leave. They didn't even care. It's like, yeah, you got what you came for, but what's the fucking rush? Hmm. Like you have a treat, like a ceasefire with these people they said they'll let you leave slow your roll like assess the fucking situation like 
Mm-hmm. You have no idea what blasting off could do to the tunnels. Like, assume for a second yeah. that there was no big explosion happening at the end. Right? The Oracle gave them the correct mm-hmm. um, race bank the first time. It wasn't bombs that were going to blow up. The damage that they did when they left, like, entire tunnels collapsed. The skyfall that's ca- that was caused by them when they first came in. They could have killed everybody themselves. Mm. Not even the fact that they're leaving and leaving the planet to blow up. But they could have killed all of the Trogs simply by leaving mm-hmm. in a careless, haphazard fashion. And they didn't seem to care. And I'm like, you are such a dick. You are such a dick. Um, and I find it interesting that like you have like, and we'll talk about it in a second, but you have Herrick being like, oh, the gods use us as playthings and they set their castles aside. But Jackson is behaving exactly the same. Mm. Like, exactly the same. Um, so, yeah, I, I, at the beginning, I was like, oh, he's an interesting character. He gets along well with the Doctor. You know, it's kind of nice to see, you know, two characters that are quite old mm. <laughs> bouncing off each other. But, like, what a dick. <laughs> Absolutely. Seriously. No, completely agree. No. Uh, then we have Herrick, and who is mm. he is Hercules to the clo- to the core. He's a glorious prick because uh, they 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 really. I think I think they actually he's probably the best representation of like the allegory for one of those characters because mm. Hercules was this like ill tempered braggart of a character who could be, mm. like, nice and chill one moment and then punch his best friend in the fucking head and kill him, you know, <laughs> type mm. thing. Um, and it's like, there is that bit of nobility, uh, and it, but it only comes out, like, for brief moments of, like, and usually with action. Like, you know, mm. st- he's not hurt when he, he opts to stay behind and buy them time, mm. you know? Uh, he stays behind because, you know, he's up for a fight, and he wants, you know, everyone to get to safety. Um, also, there was one moment there. Now, I don't know what the intention was behind it. But when the ship takes off at the very end, he's in the the corridor or the gangway with the doctor. And he's tending to the trogs. Mm. Like he's telling everyone like, to kind of keep down and brace yourselves. Now, I don't know whether he'd been back there to try and like maybe muscle them out, like to give support to Jackson or if he legitimately cared about them. I'm curious as to the motivation for that. Mm. But I think if you're going with an allegory, they did that allegory very well. Yeah. I think Herrick reminds me of two people. So A, there's the Heracles, you know, from Greek myth. Particularly the sort of almost like split personality, bipolar nature of it. He also reminds me of Worf. Mm. Like, he's way more of a Worf than I was expecting. I don't know what way I expected his character to go. Um, I kind of expected him to side with the Oracle and whatever. Mm. Um, and like to finally 100% turn against the Doctor. I don't know why. I just sort of got that feeling that that's the way it was going to work. But instead, he sort of went super Worf, super like honor in battle and whatever. It's anything for battle mm. anything like you said like oh you know he stood his ground on the bridge and he ended up getting up there was no reason for him to fucking stay there literally no reason 
he was just like, this is fucking brilliant. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, keep going. I'm going to stay here and shoot some more people because it's fucking fun. <laughs> like, there was no need. Like, they were far enough ahead. They could have all disappeared into tunnels and they would have been fine. He didn't buy them that much more time, all things considered. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And like, what was it he was trying to accomplish? <laughs> Do you know? Um, what I will say is that like, there is, like I said, in terms of the warp side though, as well as being like, hard-headed and brash and quick to anger there is still a little bit of honor there as well though like Mm. he's being tortured Mm -hmm. and he's just he's saying truth do you know what i mean he's not like trying to sell anyone up a river he's not like trying to negotiate his own escape or anything he's like nope i've been captured they're torturing me he'll tell the truth because there's nothing to hide Mm. their mission isn't exactly a fucking secret Mm -hmm. Um, but like he doesn't try to say like, oh well, like you know, oh you want the Time Lord, or, oh you want like no, there's none of that, or like oh I know where the trogs are. Like again, none of that. It's just he he takes it, you know. Yeah. Um, and to your point about the end of the episode, I wasn't quite sure what was happening with that. My read of it was it was his job to check that the doors were sealed like he was he was doing the cross check okay do you know like a eric short um but i do think that of anyone he would probably have the most sympathy for the trogs because of the fact that he was tortured by their torturers mm. do you know so i think his concern for them at the end i think was genuine mm. but i think he was probably only in that corridor because he was checking the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think he went down there to check on them. Yeah, I think that might be a bit too much to expect. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Herrick wasn't exactly what I was expecting him to be. Like I said, definitely a Heracles character, but like I said, also kind of a Worf character, mm. um, in a way. Um. And yeah, I kind of wanted Leela to punch him at one point. Oh. Absolutely. I, there, there are several points in the story where he needed a punch in the face. I kind of want the leader to punch everyone. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, not everyone. There's one person that I'm sure we would have been perfectly happy for her to not punch mm. since at the start he's fucking scared shitless of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is Edas. Yes. So thoughts on the resident Trog? Um, so he kind of comes across to me like a cross between Katarina and the early days of Jamie. Mm. In the sense that he's very willing to help, but he still has his superstitions. Like we mm. saw like with Katarina for her brief time period there, she was eager to learn, but she still mm. treated the doctor as a god and still treated the TARDIS as his, tem- you know, his mystical magical temple. And mm. Jamie, who was, you know, up for pitching in, still in the early days was superstitious. Like Big Metal Beastie. Big Metal Beastie, the Phantom Piper. Uh, this that that side of things um so like i i i enjoyed that aspect of it but there was a huge um they they had him say something they had him say like will you take me with you mm. and the doctor agrees just i know that was just kind of out of hand more so i'd say like to kind of maybe get him to do what he wanted but there was a huge opportunity here and again the lads fucked it by not having Leela talk about her life and the stars, because as you said, the Trogs and the Seven Team, they're one and the same. Mm. Here, and we, we talked about Leela, I can't remember, was it 
what story was it? Was it Horror Fang Rock where it's like the doctor has taught me it is like, you know, about science and I believe it is better to embrace science. Mm. Um, that should have been here. She should have been talking yeah. about, because he asked her, do you come from the stars? And like, there was ample opportunity for Leela and Edas to have these moments where they were talking about what it meant to travel in the stars. Mm. And I, I, agree. I would have really liked to have seen that because again, the, at the finished product, I don't re- I wouldn't really have cared if he had gone on the TARDIS or not. But mm. after a bit of like education as to like what it was like for Leela, you know, then, mm. you know, you never know. Maybe he might have been someone that I could have been curious to see going on an adventure with or someone that would have had this new sense of destiny about him now that the, um, the Trogs are going home, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I liked Edas as a character. Mm. Um, I think he's an overall good guy. He's brave even when he's scared. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that like he is a little bit in awe. Like, first of all, he's ter- he's scared shitless of Leela. Yeah, for justifiable reasons. <laughs> yeah. She attacked him in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but he seems to be a little bit in awe of her mm-hmm. as well. Do you know? Because like he talks to her more than he talks to the doctor. Um, I will say though, I'm disappointed with. There was one component of this, and I was like, "Oh, that's going to be kind of cool." And they never went there, mm. which is, I was kind of expecting a King Arthur and Excalibur thing with him. He was the one running around with the sword. Yeah. And they never have him fucking use it. Mm. Do you know? Or like, you know, it would have been great if like they were in the chamber with the Oracle and like, it's, it's Edas who figures out like, hey, this sword I have can fit in that hole. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? It's a reverse sword in the stone type situation. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Because I think... Edas could actually be a good leader amongst his people. Mm. Do you know? And we, we talk about this a lot when we talk about like story-based companions, about particularly like companions that could potentially have leadership roles, because he listens to the stories. Yeah. He listens to his father's tales. He listens to what the doctor's telling him. He listens to what Leela's telling him. And he doesn't like, he talks about like the tree of life or the tree at the end of the world or whatever mm. the hell it was. Like, he gets it, do you know? And he can see the connection. Mm-hmm. And like I said, he's brave. Like, he'll willingly sacrifice himself if he has to. Um, And the fact that, like, he doesn't leave people behind, do you know? Or like, the fact that he even, you know, ran off with Leela to go after the doctor. Like, he didn't have to do that, do you know? Mm. Um, So I really liked him, but I think he was underutilized yes i think he needed a taking back the power moment Mm -hmm. and they didn't give it to him yeah and i don't really understand why maybe they didn't want to mix mythologies (laughs) i don't really know but i really was expecting i'm kind of gutted i didn't get to see a sort of king arthur and excalibur moment for him yeah because that could be a really a nice sort of duality where you've got like the jason and the argonist things we also have like king arthur and merlin mm-hmm. like in the four like the doctor sort of being the merlin to yeah his arthur or whatever but um overall good guy but underutilized yes no completely completely and speaking of underutilized <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
the hierarchy of the P7E. So yeah. the hierarchy are the guards, the seers, and the oracle. And I have so, so, so many questions. The oracle, how did that come about? Like, mm-hmm. how did it gain sentience? How did it, well, like, or if it was the ship's AI. What the fuck is it? <laughs> yeah, if it was the ship's AI, how did it become this fucking, I am the keeper of the sacred thing and sacrifice people to keep people in line? The seers, what the fuck are they? Are they, were they uh, like mechanical servitors? Are they cyborgs? Are they just guys who like wearing helmets and then masks over the helmets for no fucking reason? <laughs> How did the separation of the guards and the trogs come about? Like we see some guards wearing grayish robes and some guards wearing black robes. Obviously, is that a com- I don't think it's a command structure thing because there seems to be an awful lot of commanders for an equal amount of guards. Like Bob and Dave have the exact, they've had the exact same problem in the other stories outside of the tree that we talked about. The, mm. Outside of Santar and Hand of Fear and Tree Doctors, they have this continual problem of stop dangling fucking carrots of information mm. because it gets fucking annoying that you don't wrap them up or you don't explain them. Yeah, I mean, you needed to lose one of those three things. Mm. Either lose the guards and just have it be the seers and the oracle. Yeah. With the humans being subservient. Mm-hmm. Lose the seers and just have it be the guards who are doing the bidding of the oracle. Mm-hmm. Um, at which point you'd be like, you know, maybe that might be a bit too much like the Seventeen and um, the Tesh. Or get rid of the oracle. Mm-hmm. And just have it be the guards and the seers. Like, three is too many. Mm-hmm. Two of those would have been fine. Because with three, you don't have the time to explore nothing. Like, to your point, who the fuck are the guards? Why is it the same two guys in black and the same four grey fellas walking around? Because did you notice they reused the same fucking scene of those two guys in black and those four grey fellas walking down the same corridor like four times? Oh yeah, they did. Like, uh, like And this is something I didn't include it in the, in the story notes, mm. but like, these episodes were really running short. Mm. Yeah. And they had to put a lot of padding. Yes. In there. Which is funny when you consider the fact that their villains are so underdeveloped. <laughs> and like, yeah, because like the reprise of episode four, I, mm. yeah, like it starts off, like I think it takes the last four minutes of the previous episode and it cuts out a minute and a half of it. Mm. Normally the reprises are 45 seconds to a minute at most. Yeah. Um. So like with the guards, I wanted to know more, like I said, how did they separate from the trogs? like how do they get their positions is it something that you can be promoted into or is it this constant division that's been there since day dot what the fuck are the seers Mm -hmm. do you know i kind of got the impression that they were robots but like are they fully robots are they like cyborgs what the fuck and what the shit is the oracle like the doctor do give me a throwaway line of another megalomaniac machine is not a way to have your main villain. Mm-hmm. And do you know what they could have done that would have been actually just, I said like you can keep two of those three and the story would be better. You can keep one of those three mm-hmm. and the story is better. You can keep any one of the three would do. Ideally keep the guards or the seers. Yeah. Right. Because you have a villain already. 
Mm-hmm. The villain is the fucking planet. Yeah. That's still forming, and there's these like the villain is the planet, and maybe that's too much like stories we've seen before. Mm. Do you know we have the separation of the trogs and the guards? That's like the Sevateen and the Tesh. Mm-hmm. We have, um, you know, the trogs versus the seers is a bit like it's the, fucking left my the brain. Mutants. Um, yeah, exactly. Um. Any of that would have been better, though. Mm. <laughs> like, literally any of it. <laughs> um, like, I got to the point where, like, just for everyone's context, so, again, we've said before, usually, before I watch the story, you'll you'll sell, send me on the list of people that you think I should pay attention to, mm. right? And you sent me on the Doctor, Leela, K9, Edith, Jackson, Herrick, and the P7E upper class. And I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> I didn't know. Even today, before we sat down to record, I was like, who the fuck did you mean? What were you on about? Because you hadn't mentioned the guards, the seers, or the oracle. I was like, is there just like he doesn't have anything to say about them? But who are the upper class? Who the fuck is he on about? Yeah, it's just like anyone that wasn't a trog. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I want to circle back around to something, actually. Mm-hmm. Is trog meant to be short for troglodyte? Possibly. That's an interesting word to use if it is. I mean... It's very apt. It's a person who lives in a cave. Mm, yeah. <laughs> is a troglodyte. Um, also like a hermit or someone who, you know, isn't interested in mm. technology, who's like deliberately ignorant or old fashioned. And like again, seventeen Tesh yeah. Trog. I'm like, we could have gone a bit further with that really. Like the seers and the oracle I thought was actually a good thing, because again mm. it tied into the mythology part, but I'm like Trogs. Really, <laughs> trogs and guards. Yeah, like, you need to go up and have another smoke, lads, and then come back and, <laughs> and attack that again. <laughs> she just fucking left and gave it the script to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on our villains before we wrap up this section and get ready for the overall? Um, Honestly, I think we've given more toss to these villains than the two lads did. So I think, I think which is saying stuff. So I think, uh, I think we've pretty much wrapped it up because the the rest of it is just stuff for the overall. Like, and I know I normally don't rag on writers this much, but Jesus, this got really under my fucking skin. Yeah, they are raggable. Yeah, very much so. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we've reached the overall section uh, where mm-hmm. myself and Trish give our our final thoughts on the story, and we each give the story uh, a score out of five. So as is tradition, uh, I shall be leading us off on this one because I lead us off in the character discussion, and like a lot of Doctor Who stories, and some and stuff that the guy Bob and Dave have done previously some interesting concepts here two very interesting concepts and each of them are only half touched and it's and they're both surrounding the idea of legacy and it was right here for the exploration like and like we only get a surface handling of both of them and I think that's kind of par for the course with the two lads because on one hand we're talking about a civilization that built their their civilization on interactions with the Time Lords in the early days of their exploration. Mm. That it's like that's a 
great idea. Like, you know, we kicked you out after we mm. got everything that we needed. And I like, and we even see like the thing of like, you know, well, regeneration is not regeneration. It's more like rejuvenation. Mm. And it's like, that would have been cool. Like the doctor coming back to like be visited, not, not so much by the sins of the past, but the, the fallout of the like, early experiments, you know, mm. he's, I say in quotation marks, um, but seeing as how that's just like a kind of a throwaway fucking thing here, the one that they would seem to go down with, and again, the only half touch on it is the legacy of the P7E. Like, mm. what happened? How did this caste system come about? Like, it's mm. absolutely not explained. And it's not like it's one of those things of where, oh, the less you know, you know, it, it, adds to the story it completely detracts from the story i like the only reason that you kind of care about the trogs on this is because um realistically it's that scene with the doctor (laughs) carrying them or bringing them to the ship you know Mm. um so it's like well we do get some usual good moments from the doctor and canine is great Leela is again completely mismanaged. Like this story had, it can again kind of remind me of the mutants because they they wanted it to be this allegory for like apartheid, and they again they fucked it. Um, with the invisible enemy, so much we we talked about like the hunter's instinct and like the intrinsic nature mm-hmm. of it and how that could be. Like, how do you quantify it in terms of like a, an antidote or anything like that? Again, if the lads can't stick a landing, and no. uh, sorry, no, to give them their due, they can stick a landing within a confined, I would say, like within a confined story that doesn't have deeper teams. Every time they try and go for deeper teams, like Claws of Axos, um, sorry, a Invisible Enemy, the Mutants, and this, they they crash land. Yeah. And I had this story at one point writing at a tree. And as I just continually, like we, we exchange notes and stuff. I just realized that like, I, I have a surface level of enjoyment, much like their, their exploration of the teams. I have a surface level appreciation of this story. So it's like, it's, it's a 1.75. Like it's not quite a 1.5, but I don't think it's a two. Uh, so yeah, it's a one point seven five. Wow. I I I don't think I've been in, like this annoyed talking about an episode of Doctor Who since Revenge of the Cyber and, and Kellerman. <clears throat> no, I get I get your I get your results. So for me, there was a couple of things here, right? Mm. That has led to me to give it the score that I have, and I've changed my score now three times. <laughs> Jesus. Um, because I also started out with three. Just. Yeah. Just put it there, right? Mm-hmm. Again, I don't mean to rag on Bob and Dave Martin too much, but what the fuck? Like, they were given a really interesting concept. Mm. Do Jason and the Argonauts in space. There you go. And it was both too on the nose. The quest is the quest. The quest is the quest. The quest is the quest. And not enough on the fucking nose. Mm. Like, the quest is... like. This whole the quest is the quest fucking bullshit. <laughs> Where was that coming from? Mm. It's all a hundred thousand years. They're they're it's all about the quest. Like cool, but like, who's enforcing that? It's they're enforcing it on themselves. Mm. Give 
the fucking the Argo, right? Give it the give it an AI mm-hmm. that's pushing them to do it. Yeah. Do you know? Because that would then explain how the the one on the P seven E lost its shit and became the Oracle. Yeah, because like, as far as we know, there's no AIs on these ships. So how Yeah. Like at least with Zoanan, we knew that Zoanan was an AI. Yeah. Yeah. Like did like why are the seers there? They look kind of cool, I'm not gonna lie. Mm. They look kind of interesting. But what the fuck is their purpose? To be the hands of the Oracle? No, I mean when they were talking about the seers, I thought the seers were other um minions that you know that there was three levels of human Mm. and the seers were the ones who read the stories or whatever not that they were weird fucking computer fucking things where the fuck why they're they're, they're from a completely fucking different story why are they wearing masks over their robot heads it makes no sense um and like you said like calling the oracle another megalomaniac machine is not a resolution Mm. Or an explanation. It's a cop-out. Yeah. Like, where did the Oracle come from? Where did the Seers come from? How did the guards and slaves come into being in the first place? How did they separate? Could they unify again? Like, I know that, like, the guards were assholes. No one tries to save them. They're human, too. Mm. Or minions. Mm -hmm. And they get left to blow fucking up. Over the same indoctrine from the Seers and the Oracle that the Trogs had. The Trogs and the Guards are the same species. But because the Guards grew up in the higher caste, they're left to die. They're not even given an option. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And be like, but see, this is the thing, like, would you. If the Doctor insisted that the guys come along. Or like the guys be mm. attempt to be rescued. I honestly, with the characters that were presented, I don't think there's like the, even the the concept of like you know a Nuremberg esque trial or. But it's not even a Nuremberg trial. The guards were duped in the same way as everybody else. They just reaped the benefits of it. Mm. But we don't know enough about them to know if they're just doing their job, like. Again, if we take the example of Face of Evil, mm-hmm. we had the leader of the Tesh was a bit of a dickhead. Yeah. But the others were just doing what they've been raised to do. Mm-hmm. Or And they have this, you know, Zoanin figure controlling what they're doing. Or maybe a better analogy would be uh, Neva. Neva finally sees behind the curtain and it's like, it's all been a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, the guards weren't even given the option. <laughs> Not one of them. Not a single one of them. And it's like, okay. Um, the treatment of Leela hmm. is so fucking bad. Like, I love that these guys came up with K9 because he's a cutie and he's the best boy ever. But, like, they are tanking her character at hmm. every turn. Her character is awesome. Mm-hmm. And they just can't write her properly. They don't give her anything to do. It's like they can either give her something to do or give K9 something to do. And they, can't, they don't seem to be able to do both. And they can't write a strong woman. Like, even if we go back to Hand of Fear, Sarah was mind controlled. Mm-hmm. But the majority of that 
large portion of that story. And then, like, we said that, like, you know, in the last two episodes, they weren't about Sarah, they were about Eldred. Mm-hmm. Which I'm almost grateful, because Sarah was sort of off at the periphery. Mm-hmm. They didn't have her disappear at one point and return eating a banana. Yeah. Um, but that was shocking. The other thing as well, I don't usually dock points for this. Mm-hmm. But I had to in this case, because we've said it before, so long as it doesn't take us out of the story. We don't give a shit about the production value. Mm-hmm. The excessive CSO was so distracting. At because it was often very badly done. At times it worked, and when it worked, it worked well. But yeah. there were times where it was people's legs are disappearing. Yeah, it... like I know that Edas is like a skinny fucker, but like at several points, his legs disappeared. You've got people that are meant to be walking along the corridor, but they're kind of walking on rocks. And like, I get what they were going for, but like, do I, do you want to, lads, you weren't there. Like, do you want to kind of remind me of? I don't, I don't know if you ever saw it, but do you remember that kids' show, Nightmare, where no, it, it was basically kind of like a, um, it was like a D and D esque thing, but it was a TV show. What would happen is you'd have a team of three kids. One of them would put on this helmet, which would obscure mm. their vision, and they'd have to walk into like a sequence of rooms. But the rooms were all overlaid with CSO, and the other two teammates would call out directions to them. So it'd be like, oh, step to the left because there's a snake in front of you. Now walk mm. forward, all this type of thing. That's what it reminded me of at times. Like, I mean, it was ambitious. Kudos to them for the ambition. Mm. But, like, I'll push it this way. Like, in the 2010s, there was a web series that went on to become a TV show called Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. I love Sanctuary. It was amazing. Sanctuary was done entirely on green screen with a handful of physical items mm-hmm. on set. Like, the chair and the table. But everything else, the room, the floor, the walls, was all CG. Mm-hmm. And even then... There were times when that took you out of it. And that was in the 2010s. Yeah. This was done in the 1970s. And they relied on it so heavily. Like, if we go back to Invisible Enemy, they had a lot of CSO and Invisible Enemy as well. But that matched up really well. Yeah. When they were going through the Doctor's mind and stuff. We said that actually looked kind of cool. Um, But here, it just took me out of it. Like People's heads were disappearing. Their legs were disappearing. The doctor's hair couldn't decide how big it wanted to be. <laughs> uh, the guards were walking on rocks. Like, And again, to, to my point earlier, each of these episodes ran short. Mm. Like They had another eight minutes, maybe even more, maybe even ten minutes of story to play with. And they didn't make use of it. Mm-hmm. So, originally I gave it a three. Then, when we started talking earlier, like, when you were doing your summary, I was like, actually, no, it's a two. Like, fuck this. But now I've gotten so angry. <laughs> it's a 1.5. Like, I can't even give it the 7.5. I'm like, <laughs> no. And, like, I agree with everything. I think it's, like, the CSO sort of, like, knocked it from the 7.5 to the 5. Mm. Because it's just awkward to watch. Do you know? And I'm like, I don't want to be a total bitch about it, but, like, there's nothing here that I want to watch again. Yeah, yeah, no, that 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 is kind of fair. Like, 
It's... Even that one scene of the Doctor rescuing the Trogs, it lasts two seconds. I wouldn't go back. To, I wouldn't put the DVD back in just to do that. <laughs> do you know? <laughs> just find it on YouTube or something. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I will say that I don't think this is what either of us would have wanted this late in the season. No. And this late in the run either. Mm-hmm. Um. I will say though that you know, last season, other than, I mean, Talents of Wang Cheyenne, we had differing points about whatever, like, mm-hmm. last season was solid, for the most part. Yeah. This season is really struggling, mm. um, in comparison. Like, horror, fang rock, and then what the fuck? But like, <laughs> what the fuck is the last four weeks been? But, is basically uh, the rest of it. Because, like, the, the horror, fang rock was... It's the last vestiges of Philip's era. It's the last vestige yeah. of the Hinchcliffe era. Now it was is a Graham. Sorry, Graham Williams is the yeah. yeah. You can really tell like we're in a new era because mm. it's it's. I would say that there's a level of ambition here that isn't quite being. I, I know it's strange to say like that ambition in Doctor Who isn't being met when if you think about everything that we've seen since 1963 onwards, you know. Mm. Um, but like, it's just a thing of I don't think we've ever like I don't think we've ever seen a, a character written so inconsistently as Leela has been. I don't necessarily that she's been written so inconsistently because I think Liz Shaw will be quite similar. Mm. to her but i don't think we've seen a character have two distinct selves yeah yeah that's a fair point that's a fair way of putting it that they just oscillate from one to the other do you know um we've seen characters have been inconsistent before when joe was inconsistent as well Mm. liz shaw was inconsistent in in many ways i i Um, i think maybe i just kind of say that because it's it's just so fucking jarring between like f- a run of four fantastic stories, mm. then realistically people that don't know how to write her. Yeah, you know. I'll put it this way: um, the story has joined a couple on a very special list. Mm. So the honored pilot, mm-hmm. the gunfighters. <laughs> yes. The space pirates, mm-hmm. the mutants, and now this one, which is less than two. Yeah, and I think I can see it sitting in with that bunch. Mm. Maybe it's not quite gunfighters bad. That it really, it's going to take a lot to be that bad. Mm. Leela saves it a lot from being that yeah. bad. Leela herself. Yeah, I mean, Louise saves it from being that mm. bad. Um, and Kate can be a very good boy. But um, it has sadly joined that group of less than two. We don't give less than two. They're, they're all the times that we've given Yeah, because like, to be, less to than be two fair, like, four out of 96 stories isn't bad. And one of them is just like an on-air pilot episode. Which doesn't even count. Yes. Because <laughs> that, that's story zero. So that one actually yeah. doesn't count. So three out of 96 ain't bad. Yeah. Um, but I think the important thing... Now, the important thing for me, mm-hmm. certainly, mm-hmm. again, going in blind here, um, and I imagine the important thing for you and the important thing for this season overall is 
We know Bob and Dave can't stick a landing. Mm-hmm. Bob and Dave aren't writing next week. No, they're not. Will the season stick the landing? It started off really strong. Well, Can it come back around? Well, one element that might help us with that is an old favourite of ours is returning. Ooh. Yes. So, everyone, uh, next week we'll be watching as the Santarans make their reappearance uh, in an invasion of time. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And I'm now going to be really, really... I have no idea who David Agnew is. He's the writer for next week. I need, I need to know. <laughs> did he write anything else before? Uh, no, because interesting, no, interesting thing that I looked up uh, earlier on. David Agnew isn't a person. Oh, no, he's not a person. No. Oh, it's Graham Williams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I'm now interested to see how Graham Williams gets on. Okay. Will he stick the landing for the season? Which version of Leela are we going to get? Tune in next week. <laughs> Same TARDIS time. Same TARDIS channel. And yes, iTunes is working again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so Paul was happy. Yeah. Also, I, I introduced Paul to Derek Mooney's sign off. And he, because he thought we sounded like George and Zippy from uh, Rainbow. That I said, <laughs> I said, like, we do it more like uh, Derek Mooney. So I introduced him to that. He was like, absolutely. That's what you sound like. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yes. until next week. Bye. Bye.